Well, good morning, Southwoods. Glad that you could make it this morning. A few years ago, uh, Lori and I had the opportunity to travel to Hawaii. I don't know if you've ever been to Hawaii or not. Uh, we, uh, we love Hawaii, and particularly we're in Maui. Uh, Southwoods has celebrated its 25th anniversary as a congregation, and all of you were generous. You gave us a trip to Hawaii as a part of that, as a celebration, since we've been here 25 years from starting the congregation as well. And so uh, we're, we were very grateful then, still grateful today. We had a wonderful time. This picture you see on the screen was uh, a shot. It, we took it from our lanai of our condo, the the, uh, the deck looking out at the, at the ocean, as you can see. It's just spectacular Hawaiian morning on this particular day. The palm trees, the, just the water, it was quiet. Just, oh, it's just pristine, it's beautiful. And uh, as a college graduation gift, both of our boys graduated from K-State in 2015, the year we went, and so we thought it was a good idea to invite them to come along with us. Uh, we had a great time together and I got opportunity to do several excursions. And one of the excursions that we went on, in particular one that Josh and I went on, Lori and Joey went on a different one on this particular day, but Josh and I went on an excursion, uh, deep sea fishing. I don't know if you've ever done that. Uh, we never had prior to that, uh, but we wanted to do it. This is our, uh, we, here we are right in front of the boat that we were getting ready to get on and go out. Josh and I had a great time, beautiful views of the islands from the boat. Uh, we caught lots of fish, just amazing uh, quantity of fish from our perspective. Look at this uh, photo that we've got. Here's Josh in front of uh, all the fish that we caught, or at least all the, all the edible fish that we caught. I don't know if you've ever, if you know, uh, been deep sea fishing, you know what I'm talking about. You can catch things sometimes that come in and you look at them and you think, what is this? Because uh, it's not normal looking kind of fish. The, the, the ocean's filled with these kinds. But we, these were fish that we took to a restaurant the next night and uh, had opportunity to enjoy uh, a chef who was a five-star kind of chef. He prepared them amazingly and we had, uh, had a feast that evening. But we caught one fish that I don't have a picture of that I wish I did at this point that I want to tell you about. Uh, that was really interesting to both Josh and I and everybody on our boat. As, uh, I believe it was Josh that caught it and he, as he was reeling it in. The captain who was taking, thankfully, everything off its hook because, off the hook because uh, a lot of these fish have teeth and stuff and we don't know, we don't know where to grab them and he does. So as this fish was coming in, it was, it was large and uh, uh, about like this big around. It was about that thick and it had big black dot on the side of it deep green color, and when he brought it, and we brought it in, uh, really quickly we noticed that this was not a normal fish. First of all, the captain was kind of in a hurry and behaving differently with this fish than he had been with the others. We noticed the fish began to swell just a little bit as he was messing with it, and it was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and we just thought it's like an inflating kind of thing, and we thought, that's odd. And then when he took the hook out of the, the mouth of the fish, it made an interesting sound. I'd never heard anything like this from a fish before, but you know when you puncture a tire with a nail, you, you know the sound that you hear? It's kind of a kind of a hiss. When he pulled the, the hook out of the fish, it began to hiss like that, like, like there was air in it that was beginning to escape. And, Real quickly, he worked in about 30, 35 seconds total. 
He took the fish off the hook as it was swelling and all these things were happening. He threw it into the water. I remember watching it swim around for a second, just kind of flail around in the water almost like it was drunk. And then the next thing you know, it just shot off straight down uh, into the deep water below where we were fishing. And we were all curious about this fish, and so we were asking the captain. The captain explained to us that this was a, a unique kind of fish. It was uniquely adapted for the high-pressure environment that is the deep ocean. And I don't know if you've thought about it or not, but I, I really hadn't a whole lot until that moment. But he was explaining that this kind of fish, when it's underwater, the, the pressure of the ocean is so great on the external sides of the fish that it has to have internal pressure equal to that in order to survive the pressures of the ocean, the deep ocean. And when it comes out of the water, into shallow water or completely out, it's got all this internal pressure pushing out with no external pressure from the ocean. And in about a minute or two, if he hadn't done what he did, it would, it would literally die. In fact, we thought, is it going to explode? And, he explained that, no, it wouldn't actually explode, but it would, it, it would sort of a little hole in it, and it would uh, die. So uh, it was a fascinating, a fascinating fish to learn about. And I thought then, and since then I've thought many times, how you and I go through life struggling to survive sometimes because there are all these external pressures on our lives. Some of us have got health, serious health issues. We've got career challenges. We've got money struggles. Some of us are facing and dealing with deep grief in our lives. We go through disappointments and arguments and misunderstandings. I mean, we all face these kinds of things. And all of us need something within us that is pushing back at the risk of employing the pressures are threatening to implode us and we need something from within or someone from within pushing back so that we don't implode. And what happens in our world is people begin to think, how can I, how can I withstand all these external pressures of the world in my life? How can I do that on my own? And so they you know, drink too much, or they, they go shopping and they spend money they don't really have. Feeling good in the moment, only then about 30 days later when the credit card bill comes, suddenly it deflates, you know, all of the, the relief that that purchase had created. And when we've got all these things that we do, we start looking for someone else who can fill the void that we feel within. When the truth of the matter is, you and I, we cannot fill this void on our own. We're not strong enough to push back the pressures of life and sustain that, that pushback. And we need someone who has everlasting kind of strength to help us. And the Bible teaches us, thankfully, that God has strength. And if we will turn to him, if we will trust him, he is willing to share his strength with us during those times when life seems to be pressuring and crushing us. You know, if you'd like to experience more of God's strength for the next few moments, what I want to invite you to do is to drink deeply from the well of God's word and 
the promises that he gives us in Scripture. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open it to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to start at verse 21. This is a rich passage of Scripture. I would encourage you, if you're not familiar with it, to, to spend some time with it, spend a few days with it, maybe take a few of the verses, write them out, and keep them in a prominent place. It might be something that you want to memorize, particularly the latter few verses, the ones I'm going to read for you here and we're going to work through today. But we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40. I want to start in verse 21, and you can follow along in your Bible, or you can follow along on, on the screen. This is what the Scripture says. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God, the words He gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth, and the people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain, makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root when he blows on them and they wither and the wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up into the heavens who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. O oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? O oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. God tells us in his word. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You know, this passage is full of important spiritual reminders for all of us who find the pressures of life weighing in on us, for all of us who feel like we're going to implode for all of us who need God's strength. And I just want to walk you through these reminders for a few moments. I hope that you'll just file them away in your mind. Hope you'll file this passage away in your mind so that whenever you find yourself struggling, you've got, you've got this as a reminder. But let me just walk you through the, these reminders. We're reminded, first of all, as we look here in the text, of one of mankind's enduring problems. Well, the first thing that shows up, we're reminded of God's, of mankind's, in, one of his enduring problems, and it's the problem of perspective. The problem of perspective. We, we lose perspective easily. If you look at verse 21, it just says, haven't you heard don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God, the words he gave before the world began? And then it says, are you so ignorant? I just want to pause and I just want you to understand. God is not saying, not, God's not trying to insult us here. If we were to call somebody ignorant, I mean, it's an insult, right? But that's not what God's doing here. I mean, God's point is he's trying to, he's trying to, to wake us up, to snap us out of our 
rutted perspective where, where we're not thinking accurately. He wants us to, to pay attention to verse 22, and this is what he does to get our attention so he can give us real perspective. He says, God sits above the circle of the earth. And the people below, notice what he says, seem like grasshoppers to him. He's just saying, all of us are small. We're weak. We're fragile. Oh, we, we're little and we have our life that we live, but we kind of jump around and we do things. But the truth of the matter is, in the big scheme of things, <coughs> excuse me, we're just not that big of a deal. We may think we are, but we're not. And in comparison, you've got God who sits above the circle of the earth and he's, he's great and magnificent and powerful. And he illustrates it, this whole matter of perspective God does in the text when he points out this thing, he spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. Let me just, let me just help you get the picture of what he's talking about by a little contrast. I want to show you our tent. Laura and I have a tent. It's a pansy tent, and you can see it here. It's, it's our camper. We have a travel trailer, and I, I, I refer to it as our rolling timeshare. And you say, what do, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, we can take this, and we can go camp any place we want. We can go anywhere we want to go. We don't have to negotiate with anybody to stay there. Uh, we can stay for longer than a week, which is generally the length of a timeshare. And, uh, you know, if there's a maintenance fee associated with the timeshare, in our case, the camper, uh, we know exactly what it's going for. And guess what? If we get tired of the timeshare, the camper, we can sell it, which not all timeshares is that true. But so we think of it as our, our rolling timeshare. We can go any place we want to go. And it's, uh, it's wonderful. But here's what I want you to, to think about by contrast. Let me just show you. Scripture describes God's tent. As nice as ours is, God's is better. Look at this. The scriptures just say, he spreads out the heavens like a curtain. Many of the trans translations say like a canopy. He makes his tent from them. I mean, that's how much bigger his tent is. See, mankind's problem, God wants us to understand, is one of perspective. God is huge and massive. And we're like grasshoppers. We're small. You know, sometimes we have this feeling like I'm just really small and I'm kind of insignificant. There's just not really that much. I, I don't amount to that much. And let me just say to you, the truth of Scripture is that when you feel like you're small, you are. I am. We're small. In the big picture scheme of things, we are. And we need, to, we need to keep that perspective. It's a perspective really of humility is understanding that he's God and I'm not. I'm not that big of a deal. Now, before you get all depressed about that, which some of us in our culture today do, let me just keep walking this through because this will all make sense here in just a moment. But there's a second spiritual reminder that shows up in our text. We're reminded of God's incomparable size and strength. I mean, God is huge. Verse 25 and 26, this idea is just continued to be built on and painted or depicted here in the scripture. It's God himself says, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. He says, look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? 
Not only is it my tent, but he's saying, who created all those stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. He's just describing how our little subdivision of God's universe, which we look up to in the heavens, is just staggeringly huge. I, Makes me think of the Milky Way. I don't know if you've looked at it lately or thought about it, but the Milky Way galaxy is huge. And God's just saying, look up to the sky. And, and this is the, the extent of the scope of what you and I can see from Earth as parts of the Milky Way galaxy. We can't even, truthfully, can't even see the whole thing. But we see, see parts of it because we're a part of it. And to give you a sense of its size and its scope, scientists tell us that if we were to count one star per second, it would take 2,500 years just to count all the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. One star per second, it would take us 2,500 years to count all the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Is that not staggering? What's even more staggering is the scientists tell us that there are hundreds of billions of other galaxies just like ours are bigger out there in space. Here's why that's significant. God's bigger than all that. God actually has the power to speak and all of those things come into existence. God's incomparable size and strength is just astonishing. It's an amazing thing. He is so much bigger than we think he is much of the time. Recently, I was reading uh, an, a, new, a news article, USA Today, uh, April 3rd, tells a story about how astronomers recently spotted the most distant star that's ever been observed. It was observed through the Hubble Space Telescope. It was observed without the benefit of any supernova or other things spotlighting it and drawing extra attention to it, but it was, it was just uh, spotted by them recently. And uh, here's a picture of it as they took it. In 2011, you can kind of see up there in the, the upper right corner where the arrow points, there's nothing really visible there, but they had kind of tuned uh, the Hubble a little bit and done some work. And by 2016, it was spotted. And you can see right where the arrow is pointing there. Now, here's the thing. This, this particular star is MACSJ1149. And just in case you've wondered, they use letters and numbers to assign to stars, not just names, so they can keep track of them all. Because if they use just letters or just numbers, you kind of it gets unwielding cumbersome. There's so many stars. So they, so they assign letters and numbers to it. And that particular star that you see is 9 billion light years away. It's, it is far, far away. And to give you a sense of how far 9 billion light years away is, I've done a little math, and I've got a little formula here for you. And uh, 9 billion light years, and, and I noticed my formula actually is wrong. When I wrote this down, I made a typo. It's 186,000 miles per second. That's the speed of light. 186,000, so 
Uh, it's not 180 as I've got written. 186,000 miles per second times 86,400 seconds that are in a day. That, that gives you the calculation of the, of the distance traveled in a day. And then you multiply that times 365 days a year, which of course is a full year. You multiply that times 9 billion years. And what you have is 9 billion light years in the distance that you would travel in that. And here, if you were to take a calculator and you were to do this formula in your calculator, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get a smoking calculator. It's going to be because it's going to fry the circuits. There aren't enough, not enough spaces in your calculator for all the zeros that it's going to take to, when you multiply this number. Nine billion light years away and, and the distance you travel is just staggering. What's even more staggering is that scientists tell us, astronomers tell us that Hundreds of billions of light years away, there are galaxies like ours. And that's the extent that they know. It could be further. The point of Scripture in Isaiah 40 appealing to just looking up into the heavens is just to say, you know, God has incomparable size and strength. There's no one like Him who... Could you compare him to? He is without comparison. There's no one like him. Particularly when our perspective is, I'm really small. We need to remember that we have a great big God. There's a third reminder in the text. It reminds us of God's identity and his nature. If you look at verse 28, it just lays this out so clearly. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. Look at that verse. It's just saying the Lord is the everlasting God, which is to say he's not temporary like so much in our life. He's not going to last 70 years and then perish. You know, he's not, he's not going to last a, a thousand years and then somehow collapse or implode. But he is everlasting. He's eternal. And in fact, he's the creator of all the earth, the passage is telling us. You love the ocean, the beach. You love the grains of sand. You love the, the water that washes up on the, the beach. You love the, the ocean ways and the vast views and the salt air and the setting of that. You love that? Guess what? It was all born in the idea, the mind of God. And he had the creative power to speak it into existence. You love the mountains. You love the, the evergreens, the pine trees there. You, you love the wildlife that roam the mountain hillsides. And you love all of those. God came up with it. God came up with it. He's the creator of all the earth. Whatever it is that you love about the created order of things. It was his idea to begin with. The scriptures say he never grows weak or weary like we do. You know what I'm going to do this afternoon after I get done with this message? I'm going to go home. I'm going to take a nap. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a nap. Because I get weak. I get tired. So do you. We'll mow the lawn. We come in and we're like, oh, I'm kind of tired. God doesn't get weary and tired like we do. 
He has inexhaustible strength, unlike us. The passage goes on to point out that he is brilliant and wise, and it says it this way, no one can measure the depths of his understanding. He's just insightful. He understands things way beyond our comprehension. In fact, when you look at the size of God as it's based on the universe and how he could speak it all in existence and be bigger than all of it, and we shouldn't really be surprised that there are things that he does that we don't understand. It's just part of being human. I mean, there are things that I do that my, my yellow lab, Sam, does not understand. He looks at me with like I'm, like I'm brilliant, you know, some of the things that I do. How I can come up with dog treats out of the cabinet. I'm brilliant, I'm brilliant. You know, there are things that God does that are just brilliant, and we shouldn't be surprised that... If he's as big as scripture tells us, we shouldn't be surprised that he can do things that we cannot comprehend. It's the nature of his identity and his nature. Now, here's the thing. Before we move on in the text, I want you to think about this. In light of the fact that we have a tendency to lose perspective on who he is and who we are, in light of the fact that he has this incomparable size and strength that he's just... He's massively huge and he has understanding and brilliance that just defies human logic or understanding. Considering the fact that his, his identity is that he's everlasting and that he never tires. Somebody like that on a human level would be dangerous unless they have the right kind of character. When you think about this just with me for a moment, we have a saying in our culture, absolute power does what? Corrupts absolutely. That's what we say. Unless you're God. Because God has absolute power is what this passage is saying to us. But we see in Jesus that it did not absolutely or even in the least corrupt him. I mean, you see Jesus who, who's in the garden before he's crucified. What's he doing? He's kneeling and he's sweating great drops of blood. And, but he's praying, Father, not my will, yours be done. I mean, there's this, there's this humility of spirit that's uncharacteristic among humanity apart from him. We see him on a cross being abused. And what's he do? He's praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what I'm doing. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, he's just, he's reflecting a level of character that would be surprising to all of us. I mean, he has, has this incredible size and strength and nature. And he's virtuous. He's good to the very core of his being, which brings us really to the fourth spiritual reminder in the text and we just see God's surprising gift he makes available to all of us who are weak. In verse 29, it says, it describes this good and loving God that we serve. It says, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. 
I just want you to pause there. Just think with me. Notice who he gives the power to. It's not to the strong. He doesn't give the power to those who already have power. What's he, what's he doing? He's giving it to the weak, to the powerless. I just want you to say it out loud with me. If you're, if you're listening to the live stream, if you're, I just, you don't have to say it loud, but just, just say it. You know, He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Repeat it with me. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. One more time. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Passage goes on and says, even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But the passage says, those who trust in the Lord will find what? New strength. New strength. They'll soar high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. The passage is just saying God is willing to share his incomparably great brilliance and power with all of us who believe and trust and will hope in him. The pivotal question really always is, Will I have the humility of spirit, the sensitivity, the openness to trust him, to seek him for compassion, hope, and help? In spite of whatever difficulty has gone in my life, will I still trust? Think of Abraham who had received the promise of God and spent 25 years waiting for Isaac, the promised son, and he just had to wait and he had to keep hoping and seemed like things were going wrong. It seemed like it was taking forever. And he just had to hope and trust that God would help him in his weakness. And in he and Sarah's case, even in their old age, will you hope? Will you trust? Will you wait patiently for God to intervene in your life and to give you strength and power. That's what he gives to those who are weak, humble, and powerless and turn to him in hope, trust. And you know, that, that trust is the key to new strength because the passage just says, those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. And every one of us needs that because there are lots of times in our lives when there are external pressures weighing in on our souls, threatening to collapse and crush and implode our lives. And we'll turn to him. He has the strength to help us survive and stand. Even when maybe others would collapse. I was thinking about all this recently, reminded of this when I came across an article that was written about Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, you, you may or may not be familiar with her. Uh, if you don't know Johnny's story, on July 30th of 1967, Johnny, who as a 17-year-old loved, I mean, she was just a, a very athletic, very outdoorsy kind of young lady, and she was swimming at Chesapeake Bay one day, and she dove in kind of to a, a spot and misjudged the depth of the water. It was turned out to be too shallow and she had a spinal fracture where she dove and um, ended up paralyzed from uh, basically her shoulders down. 
permanently. That was, that was 50 years ago. And since then, a picture of her here, uh, you can see on the screen. Since then, Joni has become a Christian, an author, a radio host. She's become the founder of Joni and Friends, an organization that's committed to accelerating Christian ministry in the disability community. Joni is a sought-after speaker all over the United States and internationally, for that matter. She is a godly, godly Christian woman. And a few years back, during one of her speaking engagements, Johnny was surrounded by a crowd of women in a crowded uh, bathroom, a restroom during a break of a Christian women's conference. Some of you have been to those conferences, and you know how the Christian women's conferences, if there's no men there, they take the men's restrooms and they turn them into uh, being used by the women's restrooms. She was in one of the, and it, it was so crowded, people jammed in around her, and she describes a conversation that took place between her and some of the women that were there uh, in the restroom like this. She wrote it in Decision Magazine. I just want to share it with you because uh, it applies really well to what we're talking about today. One of the women putting on lipstick said, Oh, Johnny, you always look so together, so happy in your wheelchair. I wish that I had your joy. Several women around her nodded. How do you do it? They asked as, she, as they capped their lipstick, put back in their purse. Johnny said, I don't do it. In fact, may I tell you honestly how I woke up this morning, Johnny asked. This is an average day, she said. After my husband, Ken, leaves for work at 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. And while I listen to her make coffee, I pray every day, Oh, Lord, my friend is soon going to come to give me a bath and get me dressed, sit me up in this chair, brush my hair and teeth again, and send me out the door. I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take into the day. But Lord, you do. You do. May I have yours, please. God, I need you desperately. One of the ladies asked, so what happens when your friend comes through that bedroom door? Joni said, I turn my head toward her and I give her a smile sent straight from heaven. I can assure you, it's not mine, it's God's. And so whatever joy you see in me today was hard won this morning. And then Joni concluded with this statement. She says, I've learned that the weaker we are, the more we need to lean on God. And the more we lean on God, the stronger we discover Him to be. Yes, my prayer is that God will help each of us to learn to lean on God's amazing strength more often in our lives. Yes, whether we know it or not with the pressures of the world around us, we are desperate for him to be within us and to give us the strength 
to stand. You know, we're going to share in the uh, Lord's Supper here in the next few moments. You know, during communion time, I, I think of the Lord and His strength often. It comes to my mind and you think, how, how is it you could think of the suffering of Jesus as a, in any way a display of God's strength? And I mean, look at all of his, the insults that he received, the beatings that he endured. I mean, how could you view the unjust trial and sentence that he received as Where's the strength of God in all of that? And think of the public humiliation. Think about his hands and feet being nailed to a wooden cross and his side pierced with a spear. I mean, where's the strength of God in all of that? Here's my picture of it. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? The Holy One says. Look to the heavens. I mean, we have a God who has incomparable strength and size. His understanding no one can fathom. And he's being beaten and insulted, humiliated publicly by grasshoppers that he's made lovingly created, breathed from his lungs the breath of life into them. Here's the strength of God. With the weight of the world crushing in, what's Jesus do? He prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The self-restraint of our holy, righteous, powerful, and merciful God is truly an astonishing thing. Instead of snapping and wiping all of us out, Jesus willingly laid down his life, and by doing so, he wiped out our transgressions and sins, the record, the consequences that rightfully should be ours but because of his blood was shed we're set free as we share in the Lord's Supper in a few moments as we eat the bread which is a reminder of Jesus' body which was nailed to the cross as we drink the juice which is a reminder of the shed blood of Jesus that was poured out on the cross Remember that we serve an almighty, all-powerful, holy God. But he's merciful and cares about little old you and little old me. This is a perfect opportunity for you to thank him. To express to him your need for more of him within. More of his power, more of his cleansing at the same time to offer yourself back to him. Let's bow our heads together. Let's just offer ourselves back to God one more time. Father, we thank you for your kindness. That though you are powerful, you are loving and gentle. 
though your size is beyond our comprehension, you are tender-hearted and merciful toward us who are weak and sinful and have fallen short of your expectation in addition to ours. Thank you for your shed blood, Lord Jesus, that by your grace, by your sacrifice, our souls can be healed and our sins can be forgiven and we can find strength in our weakness. We come to you today asking for more of you within that we may stand against the world and all the brokenness of our lives. We invite you to fill us and meet with us now as we share in these emblems. This is our prayer. We lift it in the name of Jesus.